Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Uh, so, as you see, we're in this series now called Back to Life, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at stories of gardens in the Bible. You may not know this, but there's a lot of stories where gardens come into, into the picture. It starts off in the beginning of the Bible. You've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Then you've got uh, Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying about the time that he's going to be betrayed by Judas and then go to the cross. Uh, and, and you may not really have understood this one, but actually the tomb that Jesus was put in Bible actually says that it was in a garden. And so there's a lot of these garden stories, and we're going to take a look at, just kind of go through these. And what I love about it is you see aspects of life and death in these garden stories. And in the midst of life and death, we're going to see this incredible desire for God to save us from ourselves. We can't save ourselves. And, and God has this tremendous desire to save us. And we see it through these garden stories. Now, garden Gardens are, are pretty awesome, especially in Janesville. Uh, a lot of blooming happens here because we got good soil. Man, I'm telling you, when I w- lived in Manaqua, Crystal would try to put a garden together, and I made fun of her all the time because I'm like, you're just not good at this. It just couldn't grow anything. It was like sand. And then we moved here. I'm like, oh, okay, so you're not that bad. You're like, the gardens start to grow when you've got like this, this rich farmland soil. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but last summer, she was... She was looking out in the garden, and she's like, I don't know what's going on out there. I placed, I know what seeds I put out there. There's supposed to be cucumbers right there in that, in that area, and it looks different. Instead of like these oblong-shaped things coming out, they were round. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know. You did something wrong, babe. <laughs> and so she couldn't, she couldn't handle suspense anymore. Finally, she, uh, she took, took one of the fruits off and Brought it inside. She cut it open. It's a cantaloupe. I don't know how you mess up cucumber and cantaloupe, but she did. She found a way to do it. Um, but this, figuring out the right seeds isn't always the toughest thing. I think for me, I, I just don't like digging in a garden. You know, after winter, it's frozen. It doesn't matter how good your rototiller is. I end up having to call Chad Hopkins because he's stronger than I am and I'm lazier than he is. And so he comes and helps out. And, but the, you, digging for the garden is not the best part. And I, I was reading a story this last week. There was this old man who, he lived on his own. The reason he lived on his own actually was because his, his son had just been put in prison in the last year. And so because he was now living alone, he was bummed because he always would do this tomato garden. And he's like, I can't, I can't dig in this garden to plant these tomato seeds this year. And so in, kind of in his sadness, he, he sent a letter to his son who was in prison. He's like, hey, you know, I, I wish I could do this this year, but I think I'm going to be without a tomato garden for the first time. And obviously his son probably felt pretty bad. And so a few days later, the dad received a letter. He said, dad, sorry about the tomato garden. Wish I could be there. Here's the thing. Dad, don't, don't dig in the garden. That's, wh- that's where all the bodies are. So later that day, the law enforcement, they come to the house, and they start digging through the garden. They're looking for the bodies. There's none there. A couple days later, the dad gets a letter, and the son said, I hope the, I hope the seeds grow well for you. That was the best I could do for digging from here, where I'm at. 
Get the law enforcement to do it for you. I'm sorry if, if you found that offensive. I'm sorry, but hey, I liked it. I laughed, and so I wanted you to have a little laugh today. Uh, I think it's a good garden story, but the garden stories in the Bible are just better. The garden stories in the Bible, they, they teach us stuff. They show us the deepest truths of life and death, but also our relationship with God. Um, and like I said before, they show us just how much God wants to save us from ourselves, because we can't do it. And so next week, Jake is going to be here. Uh, he's going to be preaching on Genesis chapters 1 and 2. I'm excited about it because he's going to be talking about really our identity in Christ, that we are men and women created in the image of God, and what does that mean for us? Today we're actually jumping ahead of Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to look at Genesis 3. And when you look at Genesis 3, if you're talking about life and death, Genesis 3 is kind of the death part. It's where sin comes in. It's not the exciting part of Genesis. Although, I think we actually see things in this about the character of God that might surprise you. Uh, this is the chapter where there's a very, very costly mistake made. But in this costly mistake that Adam and Eve make, this, this first sin that they make, is there something in this story that we can find that goes, where we can say, there is hope for my grievous errors. errors. There's, there's hope for the mistakes that I make. I think you're going to see that through this story. So we're going to read this. this I'm going to tell you right now, it's a little bit of a longer passage for us. It's about 16 verses. But I want you to see kind of the whole, the whole thing of, of this story so that we can, we can go through it then together, okay? Uh, we're coming to the point of the story here where Satan, uh, he's tempting Eve to eat from this one tree that they're not supposed to eat from, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that's where we come to in Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now there's a lot in this passage that I think we, we can talk about. Not just about sin, but also about 
the character of God. Uh, what we see in this story about sin, it's pretty apparent. Sin brings shame upon us. When we sin, there's, there's, a, there's a shame thing there. Um, I don't think shame is something that helps us. I don't think it's something that we should live in. I don't think it's something that God wants for us to live in. But shame happens to every single one of us. And I think um, Brene Brown is an author. She writes a lot of really, really good things about shame. One of the things she says is this. We cannot grow when we are in shame, and we can't use shame to change ourselves or others. We don't grow when we're in shame, ever. I think it's important for us to, to actually talk about the difference again what is the difference between guilt and shame? We talk about this often when we, when we get into this subject, but guilt and shame, they are very different things while they're very similar. Guilt is feeling bad about something that you've done. Shame is actually feeling bad about who you are. Guilt, it's about what you've done. Shame, it's about who you are. And you see in this story here with Adam and Eve, this went beyond a guilt thing that they were struggling with. It wasn't just that they felt bad because they ate from this tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. They actually saw themselves as bad because of it. There was a shame. It was a, it was a deep-rooted thing. They looked at themselves after this whole situation, and they saw themselves as being naked. Now, God had never said that they were naked. God had never told them that naked was a thing. God had never told them that naked was bad. Guys, naked is bad now, just, just to make sure you're aware. I'm, don't take everything I say and just be like, out of context, okay? Naked wasn't a bad thing at this point. And so God's like, Why, what are you talking about you're naked? But in this state of shame, what happened is they felt naked. They, and so they went ahead and they hid from God. They decided of their own accord that they were no longer worthy to actually be in the presence of God. Something that they had experienced every day. Now, the question is, who here hasn't actually hidden when they've messed up before? I'm telling you, when I say something stupid in front of my wife or other people, and my wife is there, I want to hide. I want to hide for the rest of the night. Because I know, she gives me that look, and I know when there's a moment where we can talk, she's probably going to be like, Kellen. And the moment I hear that, Kellen, I, I want to crawl in a hole. I want to hide. So I try to hide from those conversations. I may not like totally hide away from her, but I'm not going to be anywhere where it's just her and I really close where she can say something in my ear because I know that Kellen is coming. And so I'll hide away from that, hoping that by the next, like I can keep away from the conversation until the next morning when she's not as frustrated and I've slept off my shame because that's, that's how pathetic I am. I can just sleep off shame, you guys. Uh, don't feel bad enough about it, I guess. We all hide from our shame. My daughter Sadie one time, she was probably like two years old maybe, and my, my mom was watching her at, at my mom's house. And Sadie got this jar of some kind of food. I don't remember what it was, but she knew she wasn't supposed to take it and eat it. And so she took it, and she went into the laundry room. She closed the door, and she sat down, and she indulged. And she knew it was shameful. She knew she wasn't supposed to. That's why she closed the door, and my mom walks in, and she's got stuff all over her. Stuff's all over the floor. She, she's not going to do that in the middle of the kitchen floor, you guys. Because it's a shame thing. My grandpa was just as bad. He was a diabetic. And he would stash Mountain Dew in his office. And we would, we would go in there. Sometimes I'd be going looking for the Mountain Dew. I'm like, Grandpa, I need some Mountain Dew. I know you, I know you keep it. Um, but 
he wouldn't drink Mountain Dew out in the living room where the rest of us were. He would, he would go in the office and he would drink his Mountain Dew because we would have been like, Grandpa, your blood sugar. Dude, what are you doing? We don't do shameful things in public. And so what happened to Adam and Eve here after they sinned? They needed to hide. They felt like they needed to hide. They looked at themselves. They saw that they were failures. What, what is the problem here? The problem is that they were focusing completely on themselves. They had lost sight of what their focus was meant to be on. When we focus on ourselves, I'm telling you guys, you're going to find something that is worth being shamed about. If you just look inwardly, something is there that you're going to find that is going to cause you some shame. But when we put our focus on God, that changes. If you lean, learn to keep your focus on God, I think this, per, this story is a perfect example of this. You will begin to see how he provides a way out of your grief and shame. There's only one way out of our grief and shame. It is never going to be to look inwardly because it's just going to be there even more. You're going to see it. The character of God is the thing for us that opens the door to where we can step out of our hiding. We can become fully vulnerable. We can be completely revealed knowing that in the presence of God, our shame looks a little different. And so uh, with the rest of the time that we're going to have today, what I want to do is I want to talk through what are the two characteristics that we see in this story about God that helps us to get to that place where we can be let out of our shame. Two characteristics of God that lead us out of our shame. The first one is this. God will seek you out even after your worst moments. He will seek you out after your worst moments. That's what I was talking about after that song we sang about I'm running after God. The truth is, you can never run after God nearly as hard as he's going to run after you. We see that in this story. Uh, it actually comes up verses 8 and 9. I, there's something really peculiar that I find in verse 9. I think you're going to see it. But verses 8 and 9, um, the, man said, uh, the man and his wife heard the, Lord, the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? How many times when you were a kid did you read this and be like, see, God doesn't know everything? Like, why in the world does God say, where are you? Did he all of a sudden just lose his all-knowingness? No. He just wanted these dudes to come out of hiding. Well, they're not both man and woman, okay? He wanted the man and woman to come out of hiding. And he's like, where are you guys? Come out and talk to me. He wanted them to talk to them to God. That's all he's looking for. And so Adam steps out of the shadows of, of these trees that he had hidden in, and he actually kind of makes a confession. But it's not the confession he should have made. He says in verse 10, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That's not the confession he was supposed to make, you guys. I want you, I'm going to put it into context for you that maybe you'll, you'll hear a little bit easier. What if I went into a house and I decided I was going to rob a house? A, it's not very good for, for my job situation. I'll put that out there. But let's say I break into a house. I, I, I crash a window or something to get into the house. And so this broken window, I climb through it. And as I'm climbing through this broken window, a piece of glass strikes me on the, on the arm and I'm gushing out blood. And so I'm going around I'm trying to find what I want to take out of this house. And while I'm doing this, I hear the cops coming. And so in fear, I go into the bathroom and I hide in the bathtub. 
Eventually, the cops are going to find me. And when the f- cops find me, they ask me a question. They go, what are you doing here? And then all I say is, I don't know. I, I'm just bleeding really bad, and so I got scared, and so I hid in the tub. That's not a confession, right? That's not the real confession of, yeah, I tried to break into the house, and I kind of got cut, and now I'm gushing blood. We don't like true confessions. I firmly believe we do not like true confessions. We like to confess the symptoms of what we're feeling rather than the thing that we actually did to make us feel those symptoms. We say things like, you know, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm lonely and I'm hurting today. But we don't talk to people about the part of, you know, I've isolated myself because I feel bad about who I am and I don't want to be around people and that's made me lonely and hurting. We say something like, you know, I had to paint the bedroom, my bedroom this weekend. But we don't tell people the reason I had to paint my bedroom is because I got so mad that I punched a hole in the wall and I didn't want people to know it. We like to not talk about why we are in trouble, but the symptoms. A kid says to their friends, yeah, my mom and dad took my phone from me. And all the kids are like, oh, they're the worst. But they didn't say anything about the chat room that the kid had been in that was completely dangerous for their well-being. And so any parent with a right mind would have done that same thing by taking the phone. We talk about the symptoms. We don't talk about why we did what we did because we don't like the confession. We don't like true confessions. And there's a dude, uh, one of my favorite preachers and authors, Paul David Tripp. I was reading a book by him this week, and he was talking about the idea of confession. This is what he said. Confession shouldn't be the scary thing we do our best to avoid. And sin, weakness, and failure should not be the constant elephant in the room that we know is there but we cannot talk about. Keep that up for a little bit and just in case somebody wants to take a picture of that because that's good. I want you to think about what happened in the garden here. Uh, Adam and Eve, they did the one thing that they were not supposed to do. God told them one thing. Do not eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And they went and they did it. You know what? Satan has a way of making those, those one or two things that we're not supposed to do. He has a way of making them look really enticing to us. But I want you to understand that even though they did this awful thing that they weren't supposed to do, the one thing they weren't supposed to do, what happened? God still came into the garden looking for them. God still came into the garden, same time of the day probably, to have his walk with Adam and Eve. He knew what they did, but he still came in. He wanted to spend time with them. He wanted to be around them. When you think you've messed up so bad that your only reasonable option is to hide from God, you are actually running in the opposite direction of where God is running to. When we mess up, God is running to us. He is coming after us. Instead of running from God in our shame, what he wants us to do is to come to him and confess and let it out. Get it out in the open. When we get things out in the open, something changes. Relationship can be restored. Healing can happen. But when I hold on to things, that's not what happens. I want you to know this. God is always a safe place for your confession. Some of us, we don't think that there is a safe place for confession at all. When we confess to things when we were younger, people in our family or our friends, they, they took that confession and they abused us with that. They didn't make it easy for us. They made it worse for us, harder for us. I am telling you, God is a safe place for confession. Because he is the one coming and seeking us out before we've even made the confession. I'm telling you he is going to be okay with what your worst wrongs are. But our instincts is 
to go the opposite way of confession. Just like what they did here, Adam and Eve, they, they talked about the symptoms of what they had done. Oh, I'm, I'm naked. Well, why are you naked? They didn't want to go to that part. They talked about the symptoms. But the other thing that they do, the other instinct that we have when it comes out that what we did, when people actually figure out what we did, instead of confessing it, at that point then we go to something else. We try to cast blame somewhere else. Adam and Eve, they were confronted by what they did. God told them, here's what you did. Didn't, I know you did it. And they blamed each other. The man said, the woman you put, put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. What in the world are these two doing? Guys, don't ever blame things on your wife. Like that is just, that's the worst thing that you can do. You want to make a bad day for yourself, do that. Adam, what are you thinking? But she did the same thing. She blamed the serpent. Somebody take responsibility. Like somebody in this situation, make an actual confession. I brought this up with our, our youth group. We were talking about Adam and Eve a couple weeks ago. Uh, when my daughter Abby was about three years old, she decided, she decided to try to blame something on my wife, Crystal. Talk about a dumb idea. You're going to blame something. Blame me, right? My wife, man, she is an angel. And so she was three years old, and I was, I was making a chicken in the crock pot. I guess I didn't really make it. I just put it in there. The crock pot does everything, right? And the crock pot's been, been getting this chicken cooking all day, and so it's incredibly hot. I take it out. I'm going to cut it, and I say to Abby, Abby, do not touch the hot chicken. Stay away from it. I should have just not said anything. <laughs> she would have probably been fine. But I turn around, and the next moment I look over, and she's trying to touch the hot chicken. And so I, I scold her. I'm like, honey, don't do that. What are you doing? And she did this. She said, dad, mom said I could touch the chicken. And I'm like, your mom has never talked to you about a hot chicken coming out of the crock pot in your entire life. What's wrong with you? What are you thinking? This has never happened. You're trying to blame your mom for something. That's what we do. We blame people. The basketball player blames the coach for losing the big game when that same basketball player literally had two turnovers, missed two big free throws in the last two minutes of the game. But we blame the coach. The person who is abusive, they blame the person who abused them when they were younger. And the cycle continues. We blame. Instead of taking, taking responsibility ourselves, we try to cast blame on other people. But here's the bottom line. Every choice you make is your choice. It's not someone else making the choice. It's not somebody else who needs to take responsibility. It is not somebody else who should take the, the consequences of what you've done. Your shame will not help you to heal and to become a better person. But I'll also say this. You hiding will not help you to heal and to become a better person. Truth is, is the stuff we've done, it's out there. God knows it, and I'm going to tell you, a lot of the people probably know what's, what you've done too, the people who are close to you. God really just wants us to get to that place where we become truthful with him, with ourselves, about what it is we've done. That's where healing can take place. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, whoever con conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We feel like we can just hide the stuff that we've done. God's saying, take responsibility. 
Without confession, it's like I'm still naked in my sin. I still have the shame that's there. When I confess, I'm able to see that, that shame taken away without God having to do a ton of work on me first, necessarily. Confession, it's, it's like this shortcut to some healing. All right, so two characteristics we've been talking about here, about uh, what, what the characteristics of God that can lead us out of shame. This first one we've been talking about, God will seek you out even after your worst moments. Here's the second one. God covers your shame by covering you with his sacrifice. God covers you and covers your shame with his sacrifice. See, I think the most beautiful part of, the, of this passage, honestly, is something I think a lot of my life I've kind of passed over this last verse that we read. But the last verse in this passage, it is where the beauty of this passage lies. It is where we see the fullness of the character of God come to fruition. Verse 21 says this, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. I want to remind you, what was Adam and Eve's shame? Their guilt was what they had done. Their shame was that they were naked. Their shame was that they were naked. Now, I want you to see what God's doing here. God has done the one thing that they needed to, to have done to have their shame covered up. He took, he took an animal. Now, let's go a little deeper on this because you think that, oh, it's just, oh, he made, made a sheepskin and put it on him. Great, awesome. Up to this point, the Bible's pretty clear that before there was sin in, in the world, death had not occurred. An animal had not been killed. And so at this point in, the, in this passage, you're seeing God has taken an animal, the first animal that's probably ever been killed, and he's taken that skin from that animal and he has clothed it on to Adam and Eve to cover the shame of their nakedness. I don't know if you're kind of starting to see what, what, that's, what that's mounting up to, but there is, there is something, a foreshadowing that, that God is showing us in this passage about the incredible goodness and plan of God. I don't know for sure if, if it was a sheepskin that, that God actually put on them. The odds are it was probably a sheep. Sheep is... The wool from a sheep would be make for great clothes. And so there's a good chance that's what it is. I want you to hear this. There was a day ahead where God would cover the shame of the world by clothing us through the sacrificial death of Jesus, who himself is the Lamb of God, the sheep slain for all mankind. God had a plan all along. And we're seeing that plan right here in Genesis chapter 3. In verses 14 through 19, we see the consequences that God puts out into the world for, for mankind because of sin. Women were going to have a lot of pain in childbirth. They were going to desire their husband, and it was never going to just be quite the way that it should be. Men were going to have to work and toil in the fields, and, and their, the fruit of their labor was never going to be quite what they wanted it to be. There was consequences that were coming. And I actually even asked myself, what if Adam and Eve had actually just confessed their sin instead of hiding like they did? Would the consequences have been less? I'm not sure, but maybe. But what we see in the midst of these consequences is this hint that God is giving to us about his plan for the world. His plan for redemption, his plan for forgiveness, for freedom. His plan to take away the shame of the world. You see in verse 7, uh, you've got this situation where Adam and Eve, they had taken fig leaves to cover up their nakedness. I'm telling you what, 
if you, I had to cover up with fig leaves because of my nakedness, I'd still feel really naked. That would not, that doesn't seem to me like something that would be very covering. I want the covering that God has to give me. What does that mean for us? In your shame, you can work as hard as you possibly can to try to cover up your own shame. It's never going to happen. You're never going to be able to fully cover up your shame without the covering that Jesus affords to us. Without what Jesus did on the cross for us. We need to recognize this character of God in dealing with our shame. Number one, God's going to seek you out even in your worst moments. Number two, God covers your shame by covering you with his sacrifice. Today, maybe you're in a spot where in your life, it feels like you never quite match up all the time. Um, there's just a sense of shame. There's a sense of, I feel naked. I feel like, like God wouldn't even want to look at me. Like the people around me wouldn't even want to look at me. Can I just say something? Join the club. Like every single one of us, we struggle with and I, th- this, this feeling of shame. None of us are ever going to be everything that we could or should or want to be. But there is an answer in this. And the answer is this. Let God clothe your shame with the grace of Jesus. Let God clothe your shame with the grace of Jesus. Just like what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. God took this animal skin and he clothed Adam and Eve with it. So that they would be free. That they could now have that shame gone, that nakedness gone. And just like that, Jesus wants to clothe you with his righteousness. He lived a completely perfect life because you can't. And he wants to clothe you with that righteousness. I'm going to ask you one question, then I'm going to pray. The question is this. Are you running and hiding from God and others because of the shame that you feel today? Or have you let Jesus bring covering to where you are at in your shame? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.